0: Hello, and welcome to Communities Forward. I'm your host, Gerald Carter. Communities Forward seeks to share the story and experiences of people who are making a positive impact within their communities and neighborhoods, especially in the St. Louis metropolitan area. The Communities Forward podcast is brought to you by RISE Community Development, and you can learn more about RISE and how we participate in the process of helping neighborhoods and communities become healthier and more equitable at www.risestl.org, www.risestl.org. Today's podcast interview is part one of a two part discussion with FBI Special Agent Darren Bolgi. Agent Bolgi works out of the Bureau's St. Louis office. And in the interview, Special Agent Bolgi discusses his personal background in law enforcement investigation and how agencies like the FBI seek to help communities become and remain safe. We hope that you enjoy and learn a lot from this interview. Hello Darren and thank you for being on the program today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. I want to be very conscious of who you are and what you do. so I don't want to give a whole lot of personal information about you uh, out of respect, but I do want to give our listeners a chance to learn some things about you if you don't mind. So would you mind telling us just what do you feel whatever it is you feel comfortable uh, telling us about about your early life or about uh, the, the road that you traveled that led up to your current job, not your current job yet, but just the road that led up to that. Uh,
1: yeah, so uh, so I'm Darren Uh I grew up in Ames, Iowa. Uh, it is uh, about the dead center of Iowa and Ames is kind of um, focused around Iowa State University. So a college town, uh, not a huge town, definitely smaller than St. Louis, uh, but not a little small farm town like a lot of people seem to think when I say I'm from Iowa. Uh, so I uh, grew up there. My, that, my, was there a
0: lot of corn there? Is that what you're telling me or is not, not uh, there, a lot of
1: corn? There is corn in Iowa. There's not corn in Ames, but there is corn outside of Ames, yes. Uh, <laughs> My, uh, my mom was a teacher and my dad was a professor, so education was definitely a strong uh, thing in, in my family. Uh, I uh, graduated from high school, went to undergrad at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, which were, by then was where my dad was teaching at. So. Uh, um, kind of, that kind of uh, was selected partially because I could get a discount going there versus some other uh, state university.
0: What did did your father teach, if you don't mind? Uh,
1: He teaches uh, or taught agricultural economics. Uh, He, you know, he grew up on the the farm. They moved into town when he was older, but his younger years, he was on the farm and um, my grandfather was a farmer. So he had that farm background, but also very interested in economics and business. And so... He ended up in the uh, ag
0: econ uh, department. How much did that have an effect on you? And I asked that question because, um, you know, farming is not a wide or or not a, well, I imagine that it is in Iowa, certain areas of Missouri, which is where we are, Uh, but the legacy of your, of two generations prior working with their hands Uh, had you ever thought about doing that yourself and if so what changed your mind or maybe you did not
1: yeah as as a kid i used to go spend time in the summer uh with at my grandparents house and spend time on the farm and and uh somewhat help out with chores and all that i probably wasn't nearly as helpful as i thought i was um and so I enjoyed my time there, uh, you know, as a kid running around the farm and, and playing on the tractors and, and riding on the combine with my grandfather. And, uh, uh, but it never spoke to me as like uh, something I wanted to do as a profession. So that's not something I ever looked into uh, doing when I, when I grew up.
0: I said, so you ended up at Purdue and then what or where were you majoring in at Purdue and then what was the next step?
1: Okay. Yeah. So I uh, went to Purdue and got my degree in, uh, it was called law and society. Um, and I, I knew from the time I was very young that uh, law enforcement was was something I was very interested in. And so that was my, my goal in going to um, college was to end up in law enforcement. Uh, I had a, a friend in... Uh, Boy, Mike and I probably were friends starting in elementary school. His dad was a a police officer in Ames. He was a detective with the Ames Police Department. And so uh, I had done a couple ride-alongs with him and and thought that it was just cool. Uh, As a kid, I thought it was cool. And uh, so I went to Purdue and thought that, uh, you know, as soon as I got out of school, that their jobs would just be lined up for me. And people would be recruiting me into law enforcement, and that. Yeah,
0: stuff. and how did that work out, sir?
1: <laughs> that was not the case. Uh, there was there was no line at my door waiting for me. So, uh, I uh, when I graduated, my brother was here in St. Louis, and had a nice cozy free basement. So uh, I moved into his basement uh, because I didn't have anything else lined up.
0: So, what was your next step? What did you do when you first got to St. Louis, when you first arrived in St. Louis? Uh,
1: so, I started looking around to see what was available in law enforcement. Um, I had um, interest in the uh, circuit attorney's office uh, that had a position as an investigator, the prosecutor's office for the city of St. Louis. And uh, I actually interviewed, and the first time did not get on. Did not get that job. And what they told me there was that I would be more competitive if I was, had some time as a city employee. And so I went and applied for and was accepted as a correctional officer with the St. Louis City Department of Corrections. So I was a, for a short time, I was a corrections officer at the workhouse.
0: Um, so what was, I imagine that, the, that your experience at the workhouse and how long ago was this?
1: Uh, this would have been in 1996. Yeah. It's, it's
0: a lot. Wow, that's, I graduated from the police academy myself in 1997. Um, so I imagine that your experience at the workhouse was completely different from what it, what people that work there now is like. So what was, what was that like? What was the experience like working at the workhouse? And For our listeners who don't fully understand what the workhouse is, can you help them get a general idea?
1: So, the workhouse is would be like uh, the jail, like any other jail. Uh, It was a very old building. So, it had uh, it did not have like um, electronic door. I guess there were some electronic doors, but the where I worked at was the dorm area. So, it was the old style crank doors where you fit you manually would crank them open and closed, uh, almost like you run a submarine, you know, very, very old technology. Um, and people were housed in big open rooms with cots, basically. Um, and so they had like a, a day room that had tables and chairs and a TV. And then right next door uh, was the, was the uh, room with all the beds lined up. And so I was there only a short period of time. And uh, I wouldn't say I, I enjoyed it, but what I always do say is that uh, it definitely helped me learn how to communicate with people because that was such a huge piece of working there is, uh, you know, you were outnumbered everywhere you went all the time. Um, I never even had a, a radio or a baton or bass or anything. Uh, so well, they had
0: you out there on an the island, didn't they? Yes, they did. <laughs> so what type of people would be at the workhouse? And we uh Just again, so our listeners understand, are these hardened criminals or are these people with traffic tickets? What would be the spectrum?
1: So the vast majority of these people were awaiting trial. So they had been arrested, been charged with any number of crimes um, and and had not made any kind of bond either. They couldn't afford bond or bond was not available to them. And so they were waiting uh, for their case to come to court. Uh, There were also some folks that were there. Uh, I remember there was a specific dorm for people that would come at night and on the weekends who had, had like, um, you know, driving under the influence convictions. And so they would get out during the day to be able to work, and they'd have to come back and sleep in the jail at night and on the weekends when they weren't working. They were just, they were only allowed out to work. that was the the area where I was at was either folks awaiting trial or they're under a DUI kind of thing.
0: Thank you. So you said the communication is the main thing you learn and you, I, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you as you were completing that sentence, but communication was the most important thing. And one of the most important things you learned.
1: Uh, yeah, just being able to talk with people, especially when, um, they are uh, angry or, uh, Upset or feel that they're being treated unfairly, being able to calm people down, talk to them, treat them respectfully, uh, that always uh, worked the best for me there. And so that learning that was really a key piece uh, of my career, because that's such a critical piece of law enforcement to being able to communicate with people effectively.
0: Okay, so you do that for a short amount of time, and then what happens next?
1: Uh, Then a position opened up at the circuit attorney's office, and uh, I was able to to go there and become an investigator with the circuit attorney's office, where I stayed for about eight years.
0: So what does an investigator at the circuit attorney's office do, or what does that position look like on a regular basis?
1: Uh, So... um, At that point, uh, during those years, I don't know how it is now, but during that time, we were sworn through the St. Louis City Sheriff's Department, so we went through the Sheriff's Academy, uh, received our training and were credentialed through the Sheriff's Department, and then, uh, but we were not, uh, we didn't report to the Sheriff, it was the, we reported to the circuit attorney. And so investigators at the circuit attorney's office do any kind of post arrest investigation. So when a police officer makes an arrest and they bring a case over to the circuit attorney's office, to the warrant office, uh, when those charges are issued at the warrant office or through the grand jury, that case is now given to the circuit attorney's office. And often there's things that still need to be done. There's witnesses that need to be located. There's evidence that needs to be collected. Uh, And so the investigator assigned to that case at the circuit attorney's office would be the one that would continue on with that investigation until the case either pled or uh, went to trial. And then the investigator would assist the prosecutor with that trial. Um, And so it was it's kind of the back end of of uh, law enforcement in terms of the investigation part, because the front end is done by the police department.
0: So how does a position like that interact with the general public? So the reason why I have you on the program today is because uh, the things that RISE does is try to figure out how to make communities better. How does any of these things that you have just talked about contribute to the development of, of a community or a neighborhood, or, or does it even interact with that in that, that particular way? Yes. Yeah, so um,
1: at Circuit Turns Office, I interact with the community a lot spent a lot of time looking for witnesses. Uh, Since cases usually go to trial um, months, if not years, after the the case first starts, witnesses move, they um, decide they don't want to cooperate, Um, they, you know, it, it becomes difficult to get witnesses to cooperate months and years later. And so a big part of my job there was both Finding, you know, finding their new location, new phone numbers, new addresses, um, and then talking to them and convincing them to actually come in and assist us with the prosecution and testify. And so it was, it was a tremendous amount of working with the public, um, being in different neighborhoods, looking for people, trying to convince family members to tell me where their family members at, uh, a lot of that kind of thing.
0: So you did that for eight years. What were some of the, well, I was going to ask, what are some of the most memorable moments, but I'm trying not to ask anything too specific, Uh, but what are some of the the more impactful things that occurred while you were an investigator? Or if you can't answer that, I can go on to the next question.
1: Um, A a big chunk of that time, I worked sex crimes and child abuse uh, for about six out of the eight years I was there. Um, And that was very impactful. The opportunity to really help victims who have been, you know, horribly victimized by somebody. uh, Help families. We worked with victim services very closely to try and help families and victims. And so it was very difficult. It was very emotionally difficult, uh, but it was also very positive. Generally, what I found was either uh, defendants were found guilty at a trial, and would get a significant sentence, um, or the the unfortunately the opposite end where they were found not guilty, and then they would they would go home. And I, I did have unfortunately times where victims did not find justice because the the subjects were found not guilty. That's hard, That's
0: hard to hear, um, and the fact that again I've done this myself as well. It's been several years ago. It's something that I have not necessarily had to think about justice in that sense is not something I've had to think about in a while. Uh, I, I think about justice in other ways, but uh, in particular, not in necessarily in those areas. And I truthfully wonder um, how many of our listeners even think about that or even realize or aware that that's, those are some of the things that you know are occurring on a regular basis or some of the concerns with our criminal justice system. Um, so you do that eight years and then Do you go to the FBI after that, or is there a a log between that?
1: So um, during that time, I went back to school and got my master's degree at University of Missouri, St. Louis, Um, partially because I I wanted to learn more and partially to make myself more competitive to be able to get into the FBI. Uh, Went back, got my degree, and then I applied to first be an analyst with the FBI. And so in 2006, August of 2006, um, I was hired as an analyst, an FBI analyst. And at that time, uh, analysts were hired locally and staffed locally. Uh, It's different now. An analyst hired here would get sent anywhere around the country, just like an agent would. Uh, But at that time, um, the hiring for analysts was all local. And so I was hired in St. Louis and then assigned to the St. Louis office as an analyst where I worked for five years as an FBI analyst.
0: So was your life like a movie, like we see on television or, television or on the big screen? What, is, what does an analyst do?
1: Yeah, it was, it was not like a movie, no. Uh, so uh, we do, did receive training. I went to the uh, FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia for 11 weeks and um, received training on uh, intelligence analysis. The idea behind the analyst is the FBI receives Tons and tons of information all the time. And the problem is, is it's so much information, it's hard to know which is important. And so the idea behind analysis is to take in this huge volume of information and figure out what's important here in St. Louis. And then also we may collect information here in St. Louis that really doesn't matter to us here, but would be extremely useful somewhere else. So maybe it would be really helpful for the Detroit FBI to know or the Detroit, Detroit Police Department, or maybe it would be helpful for our partners overseas. And so um, when we collect that information, the idea is to cull through it and really figure out the important parts and then get that to where it needs to be. And that's a huge piece of what the intelligence analyst does in the FBI.
0: So you were an analyst and then then what?
1: Uh, I had always wanted to be an agent. Uh, It was a matter of getting myself mentally prepared uh, for leaving St. Louis. Um, The FBI position uh, generally um, is you don't go back to where you process out of. And so that was a kind of a sticking point with my family. Uh, But we got to the point where we were ready for that. And so uh, I applied for and was accepted into the FBI Academy as an agent in uh, 2011. So I went to new agents training, um, unfortunately got injured about halfway through new agents training, came back to St. Louis and spent about a year uh, getting myself back, physically able to go back. Uh, And then when I went back in 2012 to the FBI Academy, I had to start over from scratch. uh, I've actually been through, I guess, uh, thirty. So the FBI Academy at the time was twenty-one weeks, uh, so I did one and a half academies.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. Please, please continue. <laughs> uh,
1: not ideal, but uh, you know, fantastic training, wonderful people. Um, that's always the, to me, always the best part of the FBI is the people. And when you get to the Academy and you go around the room and everyone gives their story, um, I felt like, you know, I'm not sure I'm qualified to be here. These people I'm around are phenomenal people who have done amazing things. And so um, it, it is really amazing the people that you meet here and the dedication that they have and their, um, their duty to the mission. There's a, there's a very strong, you know, we have, we have to complete our mission. Uh, Whatever it is, you know, whatever violation it is that you investigate, there's a very strong dedication uh, of the people in this organization to really follow through and complete their mission.
0: So you make it through the academy twice or once and a
1: half, rather,
0: and you uh, still are able to be in St. Louis, correct?
1: Yes. Uh, One of the things that was available at the time to people already in the FBI, uh, there was a housing hardship if you were going to lose more than a certain percentage amount of money on your house, when you sold your house, you could stay in your processing office. Um, and so that was kind of right at the height of the uh, housing crisis. And we were um, you know, down on our house. And so we qualified for the housing um, hardship. And so then they sent me back to St. Louis, where I've been ever since.
0: The position you have with the FBI now is?
1: I'm a special agent with the FBI, and I'm assigned to the Public Corruption uh, Civil Rights Task Force.
0: Please explain for our listeners what that means.
1: (laughs) So uh, my job is to investigate allegations of corruption or civil rights violations. And so corruption can be any kind of public official. Um, You tend to think of... um, politicians is probably the first thing that people think of, but anybody who's acting in a public capacity and misusing their authority as that public official. Uh, And then civil rights, um, it can really apply to anybody in the criminal justice system. Uh, It's probably most commonly seen in law enforcement, Uh, but, um, you know, judges, prosecutors, anybody within the system can violate someone's civil rights, uh, and we would be the ones that would investigate those violations what does it mean
0: to violate someone's civil rights? Uh,
1: what we most commonly see is uh, in the law enforcement realm would be excessive force violations. So the idea behind this is that um, there's, it's kind of a three-legged stool for the civil rights statute. Uh, the first is that the person has to be acting um, under color law, meaning they have to be u- utilizing their police powers. So if they're acting in their personal capacity, um, it would not meet the statute. And kind of the most common example there is a domestic violence situation. Uh, If a police officer is involved in a domestic violence um, encounter with a significant other, um, they would certainly be investigated under the domestic violence statutes of the state of Missouri, but that would not be something that would be investigated under the federal civil rights statute because they're not using their authority as a police officer to assault their partner. So the person has to be acting in their official capacity under the color of law, using their, their police powers, misusing their police powers. Uh, the second part is it has to be willful. So um, accidents are, would not be covered um, under the statute. It has to be something where the officer knows what they're doing is wrong, and they still do it anyways intentionally. So it's a very high bar, uh, meaning that um, when someone makes a mistake, uh, that would not be encompassed within the statute. That would not, uh, mistakes would not uh, fit underneath the civil rights statute. You cannot prosecute somebody for violating somebody's civil rights on accident. It has to be willful. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a higher bar than you see with some other statutes where the person has to know what they're doing is wrong and still do it anyways. And that has to be proven. Uh, it can't just be assumed that they knew what they were doing is wrong. We have to have evidence showing that the person knows what they're doing is wrong. Um, and then finally, they have to violate uh, something uh, something under the, the, the Constitution. And so The most common there would be um, under the 14th Amendment, uh, people have the right to not be, uh, have their rights violated in terms of a a seizure and using force, the the Supreme Court has said, using force is a seizure. When a police officer uses force, that is considered a seizure. And so that's why excessive force would apply under the 14th Amendment where people, um, where an officer, has used force improperly, has used too much force, um, then that would be the kind of thing that would be prosecuted under the civil rights statute, the federal civil rights statute.
0: This is the end of our interview with Special Agent Bulgy. Hope that you enjoyed it and learned something from it. And please check back next week for our second part of our interview with Darren. Hope you have a good week.